You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenji. And I'm Leite, and we're from Semi-Retired MD. Do you ever wonder about contrarians? Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. I always love that quote by Mark Twain. I first applied it to mostly politics. It was my favorite reason for not liking one candidate or another. And as a physician, it was pure gold. I can't tell you how many times I began a retort with, well, actually, and then use my medical training to debunk one widely held belief or another. Well, actually, multivitamins are pretty useless. Well, actually, this whole hydration thing is a crock of... Well, actually, one alcoholic drink a day may prove to be beneficial. On the face of it, there was a certain smugness, a know-it-all attitude that probably rubs some the wrong way. On the other hand, I was the subject matter expert. I had spent years studying medicine, reading article after article and practicing my trade. And isn't this how most things are? On the surface, they appear simple, logical. But if you take the time to really educate yourself and look at all sides, there's nuance. Nuance in what one political candidate or another believes in, nuance in the finer points of medical care and pathophysiology, and even nuance in personal finance. There is a charm to those who refuse to take things at face value, to those who take commonly held beliefs, turn them around, and shake them vigorously. These are the people in our community who challenge us, who refuse to make decisions solely based on convention. These are the contrarians, and every community needs them. Letizia and Kenji are a couple with a mission. On their popular blog, Semi-Retired MD, they help physicians and other high net worth individuals achieve financial freedom using real estate while they are still young enough to enjoy it. They manage a blog, several Facebook groups, and a popular course and mentorship program that take participants from novice to expert in real estate investing. Kenji and Leiti, welcome to the What's Up Next podcast. Thanks for having us. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. I remember the first time we met was at FinCon, and I think, Kenji, it was you. You were nice enough to text me while we were there, and I had been familiar with you and your brand. I had read some of your content, but never met you in person, so it was really cool. You contacted me, and we sat down and just chatted, and we're kind of in that same peer group of physicians who write about personal finance and real estate, so it was really nice to connect. We loved FinCon. It was phenomenal to get to meet people in person, you know, not just listen to their podcasts or read their blog posts. And our physician community is doing amazing things to help everyone, you know, both in the financial field and other places to really find freedom. And so, yeah, it was phenomenal to meet you in person. 
It was a good time. So Kenji, I want to start with you. I feel like the fairy tale goes, two doctors meet, get married, have a family, and practice medicine happily ever after. And that just doesn't appear to be your story, is it? One thing that I've always done is uh, I've always questioned the status quo. You know, I've always thought outside the box. I always ask the question, why are we doing it this way? Uh, and is there a better way? You know, as an example, when we were negotiating our contracts for our hospitalist group, the way we've always done it is the senior people, they had the better contracts. And then the rest of us just joining the team, you know, had whatever kind of base contract that they would give out to uh, the new hires. And so my immediate question was, why are we doing it this way? Uh, is there a better way? And that's just an example of how I got everybody together and we all negotiated an even better contract than the most senior people had because we all worked together. I've always kind of questioned the status quo and even kind of going back to medical school. One of the first things I did in medical school was I went out into the community and wrote a grant for the community organizer to build houses and hire people in the community to build those houses and then provide affordable housing. So that was one of my very, very first things that I did in medical school. After that, I, you know, I worked in the Senate for a summer writing health policy and, and on and on. And so I've really had a path that has been extremely different just because I've always asked that question of uh, what do I want to do? Is there a better way to do things? Yeah, that's definitely something that was very different when I first met Kenji is how we approach life. And even early on in our relationship, when he actually sat me down and said, hey, how do you want to live life? What if you don't have any limits? Zero limits. You have unlimited money. You have unlimited ability to do anything. What would you want to do? And not many people ask that question. And it was really a phenomenal thing for us to be able to actually decide on how we wanted our lives to be instead of just mindlessly going forward, which is what I had been doing previous to that. I was a lot like you in the sense that money was the farthest thing from my mind in medical school and residency. I had this big goal of becoming a doctor, and I just assumed that I would spend the rest of my life practicing medicine. Was it Kenji, the one who first started talking about personal finance and talking about what your money could do for you? Kenji had been investing in real estate since 2001. And when I met him, he was actually also had started a business. He was already well on the way of earning money outside of medicine. I think he had come to the decision that he was never going to have the amount of wealth that he wanted just practicing medicine. And so he was already doing all these things, although his real estate had not been as successful as we have been together because he was kind of practicing more appreciation. So he's more gambling, whereas we've been really focused on cash flow. He had done a lot of different things. My question is more about if you had no limits, what kind of life would you want to lead? And so a lot of people go through a life essentially not taking any risk. They want to play it safe. But if you kind of think about the question from a perspective of, you know, what do I want out of life without any limits, then you're going to go out and take some risks, experience life, experience the quote unquote mistakes, which I don't even look at it as mistakes. I just look at it as these are learning opportunities. And I tried and there's no, no shame in trying something new, even though it may be quote unquote risky, right? And so it's just part of the fabric of life. It just makes life interesting if you go out and you approach it from a perspective of what do I want to do? And I think the money just comes when you approach life that way. And that's certainly been the case for us. Kenji, I feel like your brand, semi-retired MD, is synonymous with real estate. So you're talking about when you were younger, this idea of taking risks. Let me put some words in your mouth, living more exponentially. 
How did that get tied to real estate itself? It comes from a number of places. One is that for whatever reason, uh, I've always loved the idea of owning real estate. I guess it's something that you know my parents did, although not very well. I just observed what they were doing and having a passive income stream was very appealing to me. It, it almost felt like one of these things, if you have kind of a foundation of properties that are generating income for you in a relatively passive way, and for them, it was extremely passive because they put no effort into it. It was just very appealing, this idea of having passive income and then just just opening up the doors for pursuing whatever you want. And so I think that was one of the main reasons why real estate appealed to me because I experienced it in many different forms. And as Leite mentioned, you know, I quote unquote made some mistakes. And so I learned from those, but I also saw the power of appreciation, right? And that's the mistake that I had made in the past was I was playing this appreciation game. We equate to gambling, but I won some and I lost some. And when I won, I mean, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars of gain in a period of three to six months. And it was incredible. But then I also experienced the other side of that where it could all come crashing down. And it did when, when the downturn occurred. As I studied real estate, I realized that the passive income, the appreciation that you can get from it, so you can get these huge jumps in your personal wealth. And then the tax savings, right? That's the other thing about real estate that a lot of other things that you can do in terms of investing just don't have. They just don't even come anywhere close. Yeah, really a number of reasons why real estate became our focus. And semi-retired MD, like you said, right now, the brand is very closely tied to not just real estate, but actually a very specific type of real estate, which is investing in rental properties that cash flow. Leiti, when Kenji was describing real estate and talked about the beginning of his story, there's this idea of kind of his parents did it and it was passive Yet when I see you guys now talk about it, it looks a lot more like something you guys love doing. Let me ask you this. First of all, when you, Kenji first started introducing you to real estate, which is I assume how you learned about it, did you have much of a love for it? And if not, how did that love grow? Luckily, I love real estate. And actually, the first time we went out to coffee, we talked about real estate and we talked about properties. It was very, very lucky. We were extremely aligned on that. And actually, surprisingly, like I think because Kenji had so many ups and downs, it wasn't actually something we even talked about for the first several years of our relationship. Kenji had always been encouraging me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And only once I started reading Rich Dad Poor Dad and it just like blew my mind, did we actually start talking about real estate. Both he and I, I think one of our big strengths is we're decision makers and then we move forward with action. So we read that book in December of 2014 while we were driving around New Zealand um, in a camper van. We read the book together out loud. And so we got really, really excited. We've sped through that book. Then we read a book on how to set up LLCs. And by the time we got back, we had been looking for a primary residence. We literally were like, we're not buying a primary residence. We're real estate investors now. And in fact, I mean, Kenji hates this story, but I literally walked around and people were like, what are you up to? And I'm becoming a real estate baron. Like, that's how I said it. I'm becoming a baron, just so you know. And so <laughs> people are like, uh, what are you doing? You know, we went gung ho and we gave up the dreams of having a primary residence and we just put every single dollar into it. And that was our focus. Kenji, was there something uncomfortable with this idea of calling yourself a real estate baron early on in the game? I don't really think about it that way, right? I think about it in terms of what the passive income will get us in terms of whether it's for ourselves or whether it's from a place of contribution. At the end of the day, what we envision for 
our real estate. And this has evolved over the last several years, you know, is that we intend to contribute in a massive way. And that has changed our goals to push even harder. I mean, we could say, hey, we, you know, have achieved financial freedom ourselves. But then what we realize is that you're not going to be fulfilled if you're not constantly growing and if you're not contributing. So that was something that we had learned from Tony Robbins. And once we realized that, then it was just, let's go uh, do this for the right reasons. Let's go experience all the different fabrics of life and let's contribute in a massive way. I would say that, you know, initially started out was for ourselves and eventually you reach this wall where you don't really need anything else. Why are you putting in the effort? You have to come up with a bigger reason than yourself. That's the only way that you can dream bigger, push yourself and grow is to contribute to somebody else. So Kenji, when I originally read a lot of your content, I saw the terms financial freedom and financial independence quite a bit, but it sounds like you've evolved past getting financially stable for yourself and are now looking at what can you do with the power that that allows you. The term financial freedom is a big draw, right? And for people who have not achieved financial freedom, that is something that they set as a goal, just the same goal that we had as well. But what I think will happen to many of the people who achieve financial freedom, they'll kind of switch as well to, okay, now I've done this, now what? And they'll start kind of then thinking like we did, and then uh, it'll become a more of a contribution, personal growth. And so, you know, really right now, our focus with the blog is just, we just want to help people, right? It's not even about the money. It's funny because we charge quite a bit for our course, but it's really about having skin in the game. What we realized is when we were helping people for free, people just wouldn't take it seriously. But when you pay money for something, you know, you're much more, you know, inclined to follow through, take the course seriously, to go out and make a change in your life. And so that's really the real reason. Of course, you know, you have to fund your mission, but our mission really is about helping as many of our colleagues as possible have a source of, of income that is separate from their daily day-to-day job, whether it's a clinical job or some other W-2 job, so that they have you know, ultimate freedom there if they need to make a change. We see this every single day. Our passion is getting as many docs to financial freedom as possible because we believe at that point, we're all going to be so strong because we don't rely on our jobs to support us anymore. And we can actually then go and change the medical system. And I think all of us in the trenches know there's some serious problems with how things are going for physicians and for hospitals and everybody in general. And we believe the more of us who are financially free, the more change we're going to be able to affect to make future doctors' generations better. Kenji, you mentioned before Tony Robbins and going to an event and how that made you look out a little bit more. And certainly it seems you guys are more service oriented. Talk a little bit about conference going. It sounds like you guys go to quite a few of them every year. Tony Robbins is something that we had signed up for now almost a year ago. And before that, you know, we had not known about Tony Robbins. I only knew about him, honestly, from the movie Shallow How. And then I watched I'm Not Your Guru, which is on Netflix. And soon after watching that, we decided to attend our first event in Los Angeles last year in March. And then we immediately signed up for one of his programs called Platinum Partnership, which is a year-long program where you can go to unlimited conferences for the amount you pay. And there are also some special conferences for people who sign up for the program, one on finance, for example, another on relationship where you literally spend an entire week, seven days working with Tony and his wife on 
your relationship. It's an incredible program that almost nobody knows about. And so for us, really, the reason why we signed up for it is it's just about immersion, right? You know, if you want to learn a language, the best way to learn that language is just throw yourself in that country and just immerse yourself, right? And then the second best thing you can do, I think, is to get a coach or a mentor. And so that's kind of how we view Tony as our mentor, our coach. And so we can model ourselves after what he does. And he contributes in a massive way. He's got a goal of feeding a billion people in the next several years. I mean, it's incredible what he's done. He also funds a number of other things that are just truly amazing causes. We have incorporated a lot of his teachings in our blog. And what we're trying to do really is enhance people's lives by helping people with their mindset because 80% of success is driven by how successful you are in controlling your mind and thoughts, you know, and people hold themselves back because of their mind. And that's the reason why they're not successful. 20% is strategy, 80% is mindset. Yeah, that's why we teach so much about mindset in our course, actually. The first module is completely about mindset and getting rid of what Tony calls our limiting beliefs. And what that is, is you have, you know, almost like a ceiling for yourself that in your mind of what you're able to achieve. And so people work up to a certain point and then they stop because they don't believe there's more for themselves and they don't even do this consciously. And we had a ton of limiting beliefs going into Tony Robbins, a lot of which we've worked through. There are always more that crop up. And of course, it's great because we help each other work through them. I mean, Kenji calls me out all the time and I call him out all the time when we come up with these limiting beliefs. But like last week, we're at Conference Business Mastery and we saw Jesse Isler. So he's done like coconut water. He uh, ran a jet company. And then he's married to Sarah Blakely, who's the CEO of Spanx. He had actually a Navy SEAL come live with him and train him for a month. And he was he was talking about how the Navy SEAL the first day brought him to the gym and said, okay, like do as many pull-ups as you can do. He said he did six. And then he said, oh, I was exhausted. And he had me walk around a little bit. And he's like, hey, do some more. And he's, uh, I did two, you know, and he's, okay, I'm done. That's all I can do. And the guy was, okay, well, over the next amount of time, we're going to do 100. And so he literally spent two hours and he did 100 pull-ups. He said what the SEAL told him is your brain tells you you've done everything you can do and you're only at 40% of your capability. And I know for a fact that's what we were doing for a long, long, long time. It was probably more like 20% of our capabilities. It's just crazy how much you limit yourself and don't achieve everything you can do. Kenji, expand on that a little bit. Talk about some of the limiting beliefs that you quickly were able to identify after going to the Tony Robbins conference. I mean, I'll give you an apartment investing example. So I had this belief that we invest in smaller multifamily. And I had this belief that these hundred unit apartment complexes, you know, the ones that you kind of drive by and you look at and you're just like, man, that's a nice, really nice apartment building. And I'd say to myself, oh, that's not for me. That's not really something that I could ever either own or let's say build, right? You know, I could never be one of those developers that buys the land and surveys it and then negotiates with the city to build this 300 unit apartment complex. It could never be me. And so that's just a perfect example of, man, you know, I'm limiting myself, right? I mean, I'm literally with my mind, I'm saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And even this morning, I mean, I was just talking to one of our students and he said, well, I love the course, but I really can't do anything until July, so seven months from now, because I don't have any money to invest. And so I wrote him, I said, okay, well, if that's your thought, then you know your mind is going to shut down. You're not going to start thinking about ways that you might be able to do it, right? And I said, well, let's change the question around. Like, Let's change it to say, I must purchase some type of a rental property by July, even though I don't have any money. And then if you change that question to a must and you say, okay, 
you know, brain, let's get thinking, let's figure out how to do this. And in fact, there are several no money down strategies. And even earlier on in our investing, we had the money, but I think we would have been just like a lot of the people who are taking our course, we probably say the same thing. We probably say, well, I don't have money, like, so I can't do this. Anytime you hear the word can't, then you know you're limiting yourself. I was about to say, Leti, how much of this is limiting beliefs versus innate skill and intelligence? I mean, there are other factors, aren't there? I don't think so. I actually think most people have ton of potential that they're not tapping at all. And real estate is not that difficult, to be honest. It's not like going to med school. I mean, it's something that once our students buy one or two properties, they have it down. They don't need us anymore. This is not rocket science. Like Kenji said, it's 80% mindset. If you get your mindset right, like those strategies, I mean, they're 20%. You learn them, you just, you're unstoppable just because of your mindset alone. I think if you get out of your own way, your brain will figure it out. I I love the story that Sarah Blakely gave last week at Business Mastery. And again, just using her because it's fresh in our minds, but she got her product into Neiman Marcus, which is extremely difficult to do. You know, that was her first target. She said, I'm going to get this product into Neiman, right? What was funny about it was that she was raised to embrace failure. Failure wasn't a bad thing, not trying was a bad thing in her family. And so her dad would celebrate failure. And he would actually even ask her every day, like, what have you failed on today? If she didn't fail on something, that meant she wasn't trying. You know, she didn't know what the quote unquote rules were. And so she just literally with just using her mind, coming up with different ideas, she got herself in the door, had an opportunity to present something to the head buyer Neiman. And then it was funny because other people afterwards, after she got into Neiman Marcus, asked her like, how did you do that? And she says, I just called them. And they were like, what, you called them? I've been going to trade shows for the last five years trying to get into Neiman and and everybody had been taught. If you go to a trade show for five years on the sixth year, Neiman Marcus and the big department stores will realize that you actually exist. You have to put in the five years in order to get that point. She just called Neiman Marcus because she didn't know any better. And there were a lot of creative solutions to get in the door. Her presentation was just the way she put it together was brilliant. I think if you get out of your own way, and if you allow yourself to problem solve, you allow your brain to problem solve, really anybody can be successful. So Leiti, what you said, and what Kenji also referred to, this idea that we can do many things that we think we can't if we just get past our own limiting mindset. You gave the example, you said, hey, you know, real estate is easy. It's not rocket science, but that's contrary to what a lot of people believe. So I want to get back to my introduction. I use the word contrarian, but maybe a better explanation would be that you guys question people's limited beliefs. So let's talk about some of those limiting beliefs. Lady, People say that doctors are poor business people, that they make a lot of financial errors and mistakes. Do you buy that? Absolutely not. Not at all. I thought that about myself for a long time. I was previously married to a guy who had been raised by very wealthy parents and done a lot of stock market investing. And he was always trying to get me to invest in stock market and learn more about money. And I was just like, no, it doesn't interest me and I'm not good at it. Whenever I look at stocks, my eyes glaze over like, it's just not for me. Literally years of this. And now I can see that was all just a limiting belief that I wasn't good. I just didn't make it a priority. I didn't have a big why. I didn't have a reason that it was important to me that compelled me to actually pay attention, take it seriously, and also work to see all that I was capable of doing. The danger in these limiting beliefs is you subconsciously limit yourself. You may quote unquote try at something, but 
you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not completely letting yourself free to figure it out. You're subconsciously limiting yourself and giving yourself roadblocks along the way. And so you try to raise the chair, you're not going to get it done. If you say, I must lift up this chair, then you get it done. Even picking up on word choices, saying, I tried to do this, or real estate is hard. If you tell yourself real estate is hard, real estate is hard. I mean, it's hard for you. You're going to focus on all the ways that there's challenges or difficulties. You're going to focus on everyone around you who has tried something and failed. You're going to look for ways that it's hard. But if you tell yourself real estate is easy and I can figure this out, you will let yourself free. I'll tell you what's hard. Getting into medical school, MCATs, you know, going through residency and all those sleepless nights, right? I mean, all the hoops you have to jump through, all the boards you have to pass. I mean, that's hard. But imagine the commitment that you put towards that. And imagine if you even put a fraction of that effort into something like real estate or stocks, you could be, you know, better than the majority of people out there if you just put in even a little bit of effort. And we see this every day. We see the successes of people putting in just a little bit of time, like on our course and getting a mentor and having somebody guide you through how to do something. And that's why we say, yeah, real estate is actually relatively easy. And if you have that mindset, then of course, yeah, it's going to be a breeze. If you walk into medical school and say medical school is hard, it is going to be hard for you. I mean, I did that and I thought organic chemistry was hard. I got to see in it because my attitude was this is hard. You know, I'm not naturally good at science and I held myself back. So I don't know, maybe med school is not even hard. <laughs> like You just need to change your language, get some energy behind it and believe in yourself. I love how you say chemistry is not something I was good at. And clearly the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves are incredibly powerful in shaping how successful we are. On that note, Kenji, most doctors tell themselves that they spent so much time, money, and energy becoming a doctor that they should probably maximize the revenue streams based on being a doctor. And yet you guys are saying, do something else, do real estate, do a side hustle. Why would physicians want to step out of this role that they spent so much time and energy and money learning and then can actually make quite a bit of money doing? Why go outside of medicine? So two words, concentration risk. Okay. And so what this is, is it's when companies have one product and their entire revenue stream is reliant on that one product. Or it also occurs when you have one big customer. In either of those situations, you lose the customer or you have one product and another product comes and replaces it. It's a better product. Then your entire business falls apart. I mean, it happened to Blockbuster, right? I mean, Netflix came around and Blockbuster didn't pivot to anything else. And so they went from a multi-billion dollar valuation to zero. And the funny story is that Blockbuster actually refused to buy Netflix for $50 million and their valuation a few years later went down to zero and Netflix's valuation is multi-billions of dollars right now. So concentration risk is a big issue. I think when you apply it to your personal finances, you don't want to rely on a single income. I think that's probably one of the riskiest things that you could do. Think about disability, think about an employer changing the rules on you. A lot of us get burnt out in medicine because we're stuck, right? We feel like, you know, we can't pivot. We can't make a change. You know, our employers are telling us what to do and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. People pile more paperwork on us and we have no 
out and we just have to suck it up and take it. And if you had the ability to just say, okay, well, I don't need this. I have another source of income. I can cut back to half time. I can choose to switch to a different employer. I have that mobility. Then that changes the game completely. And so the way I look at real estate is it's not about real estate. It's really just about reducing that concentration risk, setting up another alternative income stream. I also think of it as maybe your best insurance policy, because no matter what happens, you're going to have this kind of income stream that you can rely on because you just can't predict what the future brings. And like, let's go back to the fabric of life. Well, why not? Why not add on something new? This is about experiencing life. And if you go through all your life, you've never invested in real estate, then you're kind of missing out on an experience that a lot of people have gone out there and done and done well and done poorly. But again, it's about life experiences. And I'd say, why not? And Leiti, maybe what people outside of the medical field don't realize is one of those biggest concentration risks is not that you're going to be physically debilitated, but more likely that you're going to burn out from medicine. It's a very real risk. Yeah, it is. I want to add to what Kenji was saying a little bit. You know, we have students who have been at this for six months now, and we have students who are quitting, but we also have students who have continued to work, you know, the same amount as they were before, but their mindset is different now because they're going to work because it's a choice. Not even because at this point they have financial freedom. It's just because they know that they have the knowledge and the knowledge is power because now they have another way that they know that they have the education to be able to make money. And so now they're free, mentally free, because they don't have to go to work. They're going because it's a choice. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem. Mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes, I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. and. Monarch is so customer-focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode of Earn and Invest is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash earn and get on your way to being your best self. Listen, a common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. And therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships. I know because when I went to BetterHelp, one of the relationships I wanted help with was that with my father. You see, my father died when I was seven years old, and I had a lot of unresolved issues. My therapist at BetterHelp was actually really good at helping me talk about those issues and start to find answers that normally I would have tried to find with my father, but since he was no longer around, I had to find them on my own, and having a therapist was incredibly impactful 
in that journey. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot earn. And Kenji, let's talk a little bit about students and residents. You know, they come out of medical school and residency with a huge amount of debt. Shouldn't they be avoiding more debt? Like, is this really the time to get into real estate? With the type of real estate that we're doing, we're sometimes looking at 200 plus percent return or infinite returns. I mean, there's, there's such a thing as infinite returns, which means that, you know, if you purchase a property right, and it's called the Burr strategy, if you purchase a property and you buy it at a discount, after you fix it up and rent it out, there's a way actually for you to actually pull out all your money out of that deal and have zero of your own money invested in that deal. You still have equity in the deal because you bought the properties at a discount, but that's actually one way where you can have infinite returns. And people uh, have argued in the past, well, I can have infinite return with stocks if I, over the period of 15 years, if I actually double my money and then actually take out my original investment, then anything after that is infinite returns. But the difference here is that in a burr, that's something you can do in like two months, right? You can actually pull out your money and start getting infinite returns after two months of buying the property. And so it's a very, very different concept compared to doing this with stocks. When you think about it relative to what you're paying on student loans, it doesn't even compare. And in fact, you know, we know people doing so well with their rental portfolio that they're now paying down their loans even faster with the cash flow that they're making from the rentals. The other thing I would say is that there's actually a cool strategy that we wrote about where there's an income-based repayment plan and there's also public service loan forgiveness. And if you do both of these things and you work at a nonprofit and so you can do the public service loan forgiveness, and you have income-based repayment plan, okay? There's a way to actually, with real estate, make your income zero, which makes your monthly payment zero. And if you can continue doing this for 10 years, you will have paid zero of your loans and you will have your loans forgiven at the end of that. If you have $300,000 worth of loans forgiven, you have to pay taxes on 300,000. But you can plan for that event and essentially pay no taxes on that as well. What Kenji's referencing is this real estate professional tax status that we use that basically shelters all of our income. And it's easiest if you have somebody who's a stay-at-home parent or working minimally because you have to have real estate as your primary profession. And this is actually why we had Kenji cut back to half time our first year we started investing in real estate is because we wanted him to get real estate professional tax status because it really allowed us to not pay taxes, income tax. So as you can imagine, this has really fueled our growth exponentially to not pay taxes. Two points I want to bring up. One, just for terminology's sake, Burr, if I'm correct, is buy, remodel, rent, and refinance, right? Is that correct? Do I have all their R's right? Yep. yep. Buy, renovate, Re- rent, refinance. Finance. Repeat. 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 Got it. Yeah. And there are so many good strategies you guys cover. In the middle of the show, I'm going to say go to semiretiredmd.com so you can learn about these because we are not going to cover a lot of these strategies in depth, but they're important and they're helpful. And we're talking more about mindset today, but hopefully people will go over to your site and learn about some of these great strategies you can use. Kenji, I want to get back to a little bit more of this, what appears to me almost contrary advice. 
In two blog posts, you not only destroyed the 529 plan, you suggested that people stop putting money in their 401k. Do you want to talk about those two commonly held beliefs that we are supposed to be putting money religiously into these two different types of investments? One way to kind of think about this question is if you didn't have rules on you know what you should be doing to say save for college education or to save for retirement i just wonder if you let your brain figure it out what types of solutions you would come up for saving for retirement the 401k is just a default you don't have to think about anything you just do it and there's some incentives put in there by the government for you to do it but if i were to kind of like have a blank slate and i were to force my brain to figure out i want to have 100 million when I retire, then I wouldn't put my money in a 401k. That's not going to get me there. What's funny is that, you know, when people mindlessly invest in a 401k, they're already actually determining what their goal is, right? They can actually even calculate it out and put the numbers in a a little calculator and tell you, okay, you'll have, you know, X million dollars by the time you retire. If that's okay with you, then okay, that's fine. But, you know, you ought to really ask yourself, is that good enough? Do I want a different goal? Because if you want a different goal, then that money will be better used somewhere else. It'd be much better used putting it into an investment that's going to yield much higher returns and in a much more tax efficient way. I mean, 401ks are tax efficient, but they're actually more tax efficient ways. And real estate professional status is one of them. You can also own businesses that you can use to also shelter some income. And I think the key that I'm talking about is actually not tax-free growth, but I'm talking about using paper losses from your investments and sheltering income. So if you like, let's say, make $300,000 worth of clinical income, What if you didn't pay any taxes on that? How much quicker could your wealth grow if you took that $100,000 or whatever extra that you were paying in taxes and you can reinvest that instead of giving it to the government? That's the question. If you do that, you're going to get there much quicker and you're going to also, at the end of it, at age 65, you're going to uh, have a much bigger number. You know, I think that's one way to think about it. Another way we think about 401ks and 529s is, is that it's money jail right? I mean, you are literally handcuffing your money and saying, okay, you got to go to jail until you're 65 or 59 and a half, whatever it is. So I think that's kind of another way that we think about these 529s, 401ks is that it's money jail. I think part of it was also, we just decided we were going to be wealthy when we retire. And so we know we're going to pay more taxes at that point. I think a 401k, when you invest in that, you're making two choices or really two limiting beliefs. Number one, that you can't be in charge and responsible for investing your own money, that somebody else is going to do it better than you. And that's already, you're taking away belief in yourself by handing it over. And number two, you're assuming that your tax rate is going to be lower when you retire because you're going to be poorer. You're not going to have as much income coming in. Well, we don't intend to be poorer and we trust ourselves to make our decisions. Just again, this is all a mindset shift. I mean, for many years, I was investing in my 401k. I was maximizing it, you know, and just one day I just like, oh my God, we have to change this. And now we invest in our 401k just to have the match because that's free money. You know, that's 8% or whatever. But everything else we put into real estate now so that we're wealthier two years from now, not when we're 65. Taxes are on sale right now. Taxes will never be this low. They're going to go up. I mean, you see what's happening with the Social Security Fund. You know, you see what's happening with healthcare. If we move single payer system, that's going to probably increase the amount of taxes that we have to pay. Taxes are on sale right now. Liquidating a 401k right now means that we're going to pay the lowest in taxes on that money 
now compared to the future. The other thing about it is that we have a strategy using this real estate professional status where we're not going to actually even pay taxes on the money that we take out of our 401k. So, you know, all that money that we put away the last several years, plus the employer match, you know, we're not paying taxes on that. We'll pay the 10% penalty, but we're not going to pay taxes on it. At the beginning of the year, we say, okay, we're going to liquidate this 401k. Let's put in place a strategy so that we don't pay taxes on it. And that's what we do every year at the beginning of the year. So Leite, let me make a philosophical jump here and let me see if this works. Most people, especially who are interested in financial independence, think in terms of, I need to live off of forty dollars or $50,000 a year, therefore I must save about a million dollars a year. I put it in the stock market, it throws off enough money for me to live the rest of my life. You guys have expressly said, you should think bigger. If you want to be more wealthy when you retire than you are now, if you have big hopes and dreams, if you want to give back, think bigger. One of the ways to think bigger is to not put your money in money jail, to not put it into 401k, to not use investments other people choose for you. And specifically in your case, to take a portion of it and put it in real estate, which has much higher returns. The mental jump I want to make here is that for a grand majority of the population, they think the stock market is by far the best returns on their money. I wouldn't call you guys anti-stock market, but certainly it sounds to me like you feel like there's a certain drag associated with putting your money into equities as the way you're going to build your wealth. Is that a fair statement? That's definitely fair. Kenji and I, we buy cash flowing rentals, but we actually take our properties and we make them perform better. Let's say we buy something for 10% cash on cash. And what that means is, let's say we put $100,000 down for the down payment and we're going to make 10000 in cash flow a year. Now, this isn't the only money that you make, right? Because your renters are paying it down and there's market appreciation and there's rent appreciation and all these other ways that you make money, taxes, for example, that we get as well. But what we do is we actually go in and we say, okay, again, out of the box thinking, how do we make expenses less? How do we make more money from this property? And then we go and we implement those changes. One of our properties cash flows 40% cash on cash. You know, this is a $160,000 duplex that's making us like 25,000 a year in cash flow because we implement strategies that are just different. And we think actively about how to produce more money out of our properties. And so, yeah, I would say we're getting better returns than the stock market. We're not paying anyone else fees because we're doing it ourselves. All the money we make in cash flow, but also forced appreciation, which some of your listeners may not know what that is. But, but basically, if you take a property, let's say a fourplex that you buy for 400000 and you make improvements to it and you increase the rents significantly, that increase in rents increases the valuation of the property exponentially. And so we have properties that we bought for 400000 that we've done rehabs to. We've increased the rents that are worth 800000 even a year later. And so that forced appreciation now, that's all for us. It's not given to anybody who's managing our money. And so, yeah, I think it's the returns, but then also the speed that you can get the returns and then not paying anyone to do it for you. And Kenji, in the past, you mentioned concentration risk. If I may ask, what percentage of your net worth right now is in real estate? Yeah, so I'd say the majority of our net worth is in real estate. You know, we do intend to shift that and change that. Like you said, you know, it's not that we're against the stock market. If we were to invest in stocks or even uh, something like bonds, right, it might sound crazy, but it could be viewed as different type of concentration risk where we don't necessarily want 
all of our wealth tied to one asset class have a safety bucket. I also expect to have a bucket of money in high risk, high reward type situations. Right now we're investing in a few startup funds, one of which is looking at like thousand percent returns, 2000 percent returns, right? Because one of their companies became a unicorn billion dollar company. So that's an example of how you know you look for asymmetric risk and reward. It could be high risk, you can lose it. It's very different than what we've been talking about where you're just kind of mindlessly doing something. Leiti, is there a risk of underestimating leverage and concentration risk in real estate? I mean, I know a huge number of real estate investors who live and die by real estate and would never dare put another penny in something else. Is some of the population at risk because of this? I think especially if you're investing in appreciation plays, there's a lot of risk in real estate. You know, we are very deliberate about how we invest in real estate. So we invest in BC class properties. A class properties are luxury condos, for example, that rent for two or three or 4,000 a month. That's not what we do actually, because our fear is that if there's a downturn, that those people, when they lose their jobs, they're not going to be able to afford that rent. They're going to go to cheaper properties. And so that's part of the reason that we do BC class properties. D class properties are like high vacancy, more, I want to say downtrodden areas. And we don't do that either. But our BC class properties, our properties rent for like 750 to like $1,600 a month. And so what we're doing is we're hedging against a downturn when people lose their jobs that they're going to be able to still afford our properties. Certainly we could have higher vacancy during that time. Although Kenji has actually been through a downturn with, he had an eight plex at that time and vacancy was extremely low. And he was actually able to increase rents because again, everyone who lost their jobs, who couldn't afford the high luxury condo or couldn't afford their home anymore, moved into these BC type properties. So of course there's always risk, but I would say one other thing, which is a little bit different is that we have the knowledge now that I'm completely secure in the fact that if we lose everything, we can figure out another way to bring it back. And that's because we learned how to do this ourselves. If you rely on somebody else to invest your money for you, they have the knowledge, they know how to do it but you don't have that knowledge. And I think for me, there's always an element of fear if I don't really understand what's going on and I don't have that knowledge. I'm just going to use this opportunity to call you out on on the use of fear because fears are going to limit you. And talking about it, using that language is going to change how you think about and, and how you solve problems. And so this is just an example of what we do constantly, right? When we're in this environment, and we do this actually even with our friends and colleagues, even after a year of immersing yourself in this environment, people are just spewing out, you know, fears and limiting beliefs all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We stumble into it all the time. And that's a really good point. I mean, Tony has this story of how he went to racing school. They put you into a spin on purpose so you can figure out how to get out of it. And the idea is you go into the spin and you're about to run into a wall and you look at the wall. And when you look at the wall, the steering wheel follows where you're looking and you crash into that wall and you die, right? But if you can train yourself that you're in the spin and you look at where you want to go, not where you don't want to go, you look at where you want to go, you go that way. And so if I were to sit here, like I just did and said, you know, I have the fear of this and blah, 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 that's where I don't want to go. And so I'm focusing on that. And so I'm going to be much more likely to go that way. And let me maybe paraphrase a little bit. It's not that you guys don't believe there could be a downturn or that certain types of real estate investing may not be as profitable in the future as they are now. It's more that you will find a way to reach your goals by pivoting and finding 
where the inefficiencies where you can do well and make money. So it's not that these things won't happen. It's that you will be able to manage the ups and downs and that you can do it and make it work. Is that fair enough? Yes. Yeah. You know, our focus is not on the fear, but our focus is on what can we do to mitigate any losses, but also where's the opportunity, right? There's going to be lots of opportunity when the downturn happens. So we're preparing for it. Get this question all the time, right? Is, you know, should I wait? until the downturn to start investing. The sad thing is, is that people asked this question four years ago and they missed out on the most amazing period of growth for real estate and for stocks. If you're driven by that fear, then you're going to just sit on the sidelines. And so what we always tell people is that, okay, the downturn may be around the corner, but again, that's going to provide you with the best opportunity to really significantly increase your wealth because everything's going to be cheap. Everything's available at a discount. So what you want to do now is you want to find mentors, you want to learn, right now in this environment, because if you can be successful in this environment and you're prepared and ready to jump on opportunities when the downturn happens, then you're going to do very well. But the people who start when the downturn happens, it's already too late. You know, just think about like, I'm going to be a doctor. Well, becoming a doctor doesn't happen overnight. It takes you know, a minimum of four years of med school and three years of residency. Same thing, becoming a real estate investor and a competent real estate investor and developing the connections and network doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And so the people who are studying now, working now, buying their first rental property now, those are the ones who are going to be ready when the downturn happens and they're going to do great. And they're going to recognize when things are good deals instead of coming in and saying, oh, is this a good deal? Is this not? And getting stuck in analysis paralysis and not even buying then. So I want to take the last few minutes to go from a thousand feet back down to ground level and talk about you two together. I noticed that you almost finish each other's sentences at times. Leiti, tell me what it's like to work with your spouse. I mean, I've heard some people say it works really well and other people say that that's not the best idea. You know, there are challenging times, certainly, and there are times that we disagree, but I would say majority of the time it's amazing. You know, we get to be around each other all day. And what a gift to be around your spouse 24 hours a day. Nobody gets that type of time with their spouse anymore. You're all at work and you're separated. And, you know, I just feel so grateful that we've had this chance to work together, even despite the tough times. I mean, it's really special. And I mean, same for being at home with our kids too. You know, we are around even if we're you know, not interacting with them that moment, we're in the house. Real estate has given us that ability to make the life that we wanted, which includes more time with each other, more time with our family. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It comes down to your focus. I could sit here and say, oh, it's really difficult. We'll argue and fight more than we would if we weren't working together, right? But on the flip side, if my focus is wow, this is an amazing opportunity for me to grow as a person. Because if you're not faced with challenges, then you just kind of go through life without you know, making any changes in yourself. But if you're constantly reminded of all the things that you could work on and improve, which I am on a daily basis, it's humbling. It's a good learning opportunity. And that's my focus. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be better, be a better husband, better dad, better coworker. Are either of you guys still practicing? And if so, will that continue? I have half time and Kenji does some shifts as a hospitalist. You know, there are parts I love about practicing, especially my colleagues and being around them, but we also have a lot going on. Sometimes I question it. I just don't know. You know, I'm not quite ready to lose that part of my identity yet. I just don't know what the future will hold. Maybe we do leave medicine. I don't know. 
I think I actually always want to have a toe in that kind of water. I left medicine. I was working for a consulting company for five years and I, I wasn't planning on coming back to medicine. But one of the reasons why I came back to medicine was that I realized that if I'm going to make significant changes in the healthcare system, that I had to be credible and I had to be credible as a physician, right? You know, because if I'm going to influence physicians, then I'm going to have to come from a place where they see me as a colleague, as an equal. And so one of the reasons why we have a lot of impact with our students is that, you know, we are in the trenches with them. We know what they're going through. And that's why I think we're able to kind of reach them at a level that many other people wouldn't be able to do with regard to real estate, but also mindset. So we wouldn't have that ability if we didn't have that connection with them. So for me, I think it's really important. Kenji, back to you. Tell us what's coming up next in your life. So what's coming up immediately is we have a trip. It's a special platinum trip for Tony Robbins. Uh, it's called Platinum Financial. And I'm really excited because, you know, he usually brings several billionaires, athletes uh, like Michael Phelps, Serena Williams. He's also had heads of state. He's had Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Tony Blair. So he's had a number of kind of heads of state come as well. And it's really kind of cool because it's like an opportunity for us to explore uh, multiple different ways to make money, not just real estate. Real estate will definitely be a topic that will be discussed but they'll be talking about everything from Bitcoin to precious metals to stock strategies, as well as you know that group of people that are coming are also going to provide us perspectives on what's going to happen with the economy over the next six months to 12 months. So I'm really excited about that. That's coming up. And, and then in addition to that, some other travel that we're going to be doing, I'll probably take a month off in May to travel to Europe with the grandparents and the kids. And so we're really excited about you know taking that time off. And Leiti, where can we find you on the internet? And talk a little bit about the courses and coaching you guys offer through Semi-Retired MD. So we are at semiretiredmd.com. We have a Facebook group for physicians as well as a Facebook group for professionals. So that's semi-retired professionals. We have a Facebook group for dentists and lawyers as well. Right now we offer one course, which is an introduction to real estate. Usually we have around 250 students who join each time we offer it. And then we have their spouses come in for free too, because again, because we're a power couple, because we make decisions, we move forward together. We really want that for our students too. We know that they will accomplish so much more if their spouse is on board and you know has the same goal and dream that they're going for. Our intro course is probably going to be offered again in August or so. And then we, of course, have our blog with lots of free resources. We put out articles every single week and we're always available. People can send us emails or get in contact with us. We're really available to our people. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. I'm Doc G and I wanted to thank Leiti and Kenji of Semi-Retired MD. That's a wrap. Are you ever scrolling through your Facebook feed and wonder, boy, I wish I could listen to another episode of the Earn and Invest podcast? Well, now you can engage in our content in two different ways. One, you can go to our website, www.earnandinvest.com. That's E-A-R-N-A-N-D-I-N-V-E-S-T.com. Or you can check us out on Facebook at the Earn and Invest Facebook group. The easiest way to get there is www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com backslash Facebook. We hope to see you there and engage with our community on topics very similar to the ones you'll find on the podcast. Now back to the show. Hey, everybody. I thought it was time that you and I got a chance to sit down and just talk. Just you and me. 
You guys might have noticed this is episode 100, and I have to tell you the truth. It's not actually episode 100. There have been a few bonus episodes here and there. We messed up the numbering at one point. If you really look back, we've probably put out something like 105 episodes. Now, you'll notice I said we, because of course, when I started this venture, it was me and Paul Thompson, and the name of the podcast was What's Up Next? Many people ask me, how did you get interested in podcasting? Well, it actually started years ago. Back in 2004-2005, I started writing a medical blog. At that time, I was interested in writing why people become doctors, what it feels like to be a doctor, and to discuss some of the stresses that physicians go through. I did this for a number of years, but as I was getting tired of practicing medicine, as I was getting burned out by the day-to-day stress anxiety, and yes, even fear of being a physician, I found that writing about medicine, too, became complicated. On one level, I wanted to talk about all the things that were stressing me out, but on the other, I just wanted to get away from this profession that was exhausting me. Right about that time, I discovered personal finance and financial independence. Immediately, I started writing a blog called Diversify. On the blog Diversify, I was able to talk about my transition from identifying as a physician to identifying as a human being, a creator, a writer, and eventually a podcaster. On my blog, I journaled about the changes that were taking place in my heart and my mind as I realized that being a physician, while I thought it was the path my life was meant to lead, truly was just for me a profession, and that communicating connecting with other people, creating content, writing, talking, public speaking. These were the things that really lit my heart on fire. So I started with blogging, and through the blog, I met this guy named Paul Thompson. We had met each other at a Camp Fi, and then we saw each other again at FinCon, and we decided to start a podcast. And over the months starting with episode one and now up to episode 100, I fell in love with this medium. I fell in love with the ability to get onto the microphone and interview people, to talk to people about the things that bothered them, the things that scared them, but also the things that brought them joy, to get them to look at their finances and their lives from a different angle and talk about their unique perspectives of why we do what we do. This journey has had its ups and downs. When we first started, I remember that first episode. It was about real estate, and it was with Chad Carson and Bianca Di Valerio, Miss Mizumo, and Gwen Mers. And I remember that moment, sitting down in front of the mic, getting ready to start the episode, and I had the strange feeling that either I was going to kill it, that this was going to be the thing I was meant to do, or I was going to make a fool of myself. And I didn't know which one. And as we got through the preliminaries and started recording, I thought, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to ask smart enough questions. And then I just dove in. And as with almost everything I do, I jump in and deal with the consequences later. And I'm so glad that I jumped into podcasting Through the 100 episodes, I've interviewed hundreds of guests. We've talked about dozens of topics. I've learned more than I ever could have imagined. I shared the stage with Paul Thompson for a while, and now he's left. 
every time I get on the microphone and interview someone, I learn something. And the truth of the matter is, I'm just really thankful. I'm thankful that I have the privilege of emailing and calling and asking all these people to come on the podcast. I'm thankful that people listen and download the episodes and comment on them. I'm thankful that people have joined our Facebook group. I'm thankful that people stuck with the podcast, even with all the changes, and when I went from What's Up Next to Earn and Invest. And most of all, I'm thankful because doing this podcast has allowed me to grow and learn and expand and develop my voice. As you can tell, as the podcast has changed, I've tried to be a little bit more involved as opposed to just being the interview who sits behind the mic and asks questions. I've tried to allow a window into who I am by telling stories about my life. And the reason why is I realize that any relationship, whether it be in person, online, or through a podcast, requires a give and take. And my guests have given so much. And even you guys have all given so much by commenting and by joining the Facebook group. And many of you I've had on the podcast during our listener takeovers and our short segments. I can't imagine a life in which I don't have my own podcast. And the reason is because it's allowed me to talk to each and every one of you. Maybe you're listening to me in your car Maybe while in your house, maybe late at night when your family members are asleep, maybe early in the morning when you're taking that jog. If you are, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Earn and Invest podcast. Thank you for hanging out for 100 episodes. I can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to produce and put out another 100 more. And I can't wait to share them with you. Thanks again. Boom. All right. We're good. That was awesome, man. Love it. Good, good questions. questions. Yeah, yeah, really good questions. No, no, you guys, and you were you were perfect. It was it was a, a wonderful mix of specifics, mindset, and again, getting to that idea. Because you guys really do, whether you believe it or not, but I, I like the way you put it. You know, it really got me thinking about what is being contrary versus what is getting past limiting beliefs. And I think that's a great conversation. And, and you guys provided a lot of good insight into that. You know, whenever I find my opinions and ideas growing as I'm listening to my podcast participants, I'm like, okay, this is a good podcast. I'm growing like right awesome. here, right now while we're doing this. So awesome. Awesome. So Kenji, back to you. Tell us what's coming up next in your life. <laughs> what should we talk about? Um, um. <laughs> We have a lot going on. I know. It's, it's, like, it's like, kind of like, what? I'm going to start, okay? I'll just ask you the question again. One, two, three. So, Kenji, tell me what's up next in your life. <laughs> okay, cool. What's so funny? <laughs> no, nothing. Just, uh... All right. So... First and foremost, it's really nice to see you guys again. I think the last yeah. time what we saw each other was at FinCon. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It was, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, we need to definitely go again this year. That was awesome. Yeah. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 